I am so honored to be here with you all today. My name is Dawson Shelburne. I'm the student pastor here at North Phoenix. Come on, come on. So we, we obviously, we obviously have, have a big group of students here today, and I am so honored and privileged to be able to pastor and minister um, to them. Um, but, but anyways, today, uh, Pastor Noe gave me the opportunity to be able to lead us on Student Sunday. Um, so, so after service, be sure to go and watch our middle schoolers take Pastor Noe's ankles at a game of basketball. Amen? <laughs> amen. Amen. But, but I'm so honored to be a part of this church. Um, and, and when Pastor Noe texted me and asked me um, if I would preach this Sunday, I, I looked at the text and I showed my wife and I was like, do you think he's serious? There's, there's no way, right? And my wife was like, no, I, I think he's serious. I think that you should get back to him. And I was like, golly, okay. All right, I'll get back to him. So, so anyways, um, Pastor Noe has been gracious to give me this opportunity. He's been an incredible mentor. He's, he showed me the ropes of what being a, a preacher and a Bible teacher and a minister looks like. And so uh, getting this opportunity coming from Pastor Noe um, is all the more special to me. Um, I figured I would start off by telling you a little bit about myself. So I, I've been married to my wife Kaylee for four years. Um, Kaylee is right, right there. That's a... Yeah, she, she is so beautiful. So, so I've been married to Kaylee for four years and we've lived in Arizona now for about three years. Um, and I grew up before that in the Dallas area. Do we, do we have any Cowboys fans in here? Come on now. Come on now. No, hey, hey. No. Th this is our year. We got Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs, Super Bowl bound. Come on, come on, Super Bowl bound. So, so anyways, after, after leaving Dallas, I went and played baseball in college my freshman year. And after hanging up the cleats, I, I went to the University of Arkansas. And when I got to the University of Arkansas, I was quickly acquainted with a ministry known as C3. Um, and, and it just so happens that C3 was Pastor Noe's college ministry, ministry that he had planted at the University of Arkansas. But I didn't have the opportunity to know Pastor Noe in Arkansas because I had moved um, to Arkansas the, the year that he had moved to come and pastor North Phoenix. So I had just missed him. Um, but, but while I was at C3, I had the opportunity to lead my first Bible study. It, it was a time in my life where um, I, I got my first mentor. I, I was discipled. I was plugged in to Christian community for the first time in my life. I met my wife while I was at C3. And through all these opportunities in the church, I, I felt a strong call in my life to do ministry. Um, and I think it's crazy looking back now and working at North Phoenix, thinking that, that I am a disciple of Pastor Noe's because, because he put a deposit into the University of Arkansas because he invested into building and equipping leaders. It, that, that's the reason why I was able to be called into ministry, why I was able to meet my wife as a result um, of his efforts. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. And, and I'm excited that, that this is kind of the direction we're going is that Pastor Noe, he wasn't so concerned with the accolades, with, with being known as the most dynamic and engaging preacher, although he is, right? He was concerned with building up next generation leaders. And it's, and it's a result of him intentionally discipling leaders um, that, that I was called to ministry. And, and the University of Arkansas genuinely looks different because of Pastor Noe's investment into the next generation. So Pastor Noe left, but this ministry, right, was still a well-oiled machine because he had, had raised up 
leaders to take the reins, right? And so I'm excited to, to be able to talk about this generational view and perspective of what ministry looks like. Um, so, so there are so many exciting things going on in, in our church, right? We just got to see a baptism that was incredible. Uh, our student ministry is about to get buckets today. We, we get to see people come to know Jesus and engage in genuine community. But I think the pillar of, of all of this success that we're seeing in ministry um, and what we're able to do as a church is a result of our vision um, that, that Pastor Noe has given us. And his vision that he's given us is that we are going to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we are going to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And it's about as biblical and as straightforward as it gets. So we, he gets reach right from uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and equip is from a verse in Ephesians 4. It says we are going to uh, equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And I love this mission. It, it, we're held accountable to this mission often as we do ministry. Um, even when I turn in my expense reports, I have to put um, on that expense whether or not it, it was used to reach or to equip somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're held accountable to this vision. It's reiterated in our meetings and, and everything so often. But, but where I think that sometimes we have a misunderstanding about this vision is when we think that, that the church's job is to reach us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the church's job is to continually equip us. It's to continually provide opportunities to learn more about the Bible and to learn more about scriptures ultimately until we just know more and more and more and then, and then we die, right? And, and I think that, that what this vision was actually meant to be is it was meant to be a circular vision in which we would be reached and equipped by the church, but then as a result of the church equipping us, we would go out and we would reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we would equip, equip them, and we would empower them to, to then build disciples, and so we see uh, disciples who are capable of making disciples that make disciples, right? And, and this is, is what we get, got to see with Pastor Noe at the University of Arkansas. He developed leaders who then could develop leaders, and that's why that ministry is still so successful even today. And, and this is what Paul, I think, is so passionate about in Philippians 2. He's passionate about making disciples who can make disciples. So if you have your Bibles with you, we'll be in Philippians 2, 19 through 30. And, and I'll give you a little bit of context with this passage. So this passage is right on the heels of Philippians 2, where we see um, Jesus's humility. Uh, Paul explains that Jesus, he took on flesh, he became man, and he humbled himself to be a servant, and then he even emptied himself out for humanity. Um, and, and we see Paul in this text, he gives us two examples of an appropriate response to Jesus's humility. And, and those two examples are in the form of Timothy and Epaphroditus. So I'll go ahead and read it for us here. In verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. 
So, so what we see in this passage is that Timothy is a disciple of Paul. And they have this special father-son almost relationship that Paul describes here. And, and Paul is able to entrust Timothy with the ministry of, of going and equipping leaders in Philippi. Um, and, and he has full faith that, that Timothy is able to do that. And it's because of this verse that we see here in verse 20. He says, I have no one who is genuinely as concerned for, for the people of Philippi um, than Timothy is. He says that in contrast, he says all these other leaders are after their own interests, but Timothy in this text, he's able to put the mission of Jesus Christ above himself. He's able to put the people at Philippi above himself. He's able to put what Paul says above his own, you know, ideas or opinions. And so Paul entrusts him because of this selflessness to go and make disciples in Philippi. And Timothy resembles Jesus in Philippians 2 in that way because he's able to empty himself and he's able to selflessly go and serve the people at Philippi that God is calling him to serve and, and Paul is asking him to serve. Um, but, but in contrast, we see those other leaders in the church, right? We see those other leaders that are after their own interests. And I read that and it, and it hits me so deep because I think that there are so often times when, when I'm making disciples or, or I'm doing ministry and I have some ulterior motives, right? That there are times when I'm serving in the youth and I genuinely want my students to experience Christ, grow in the faith, know their Bibles, and, and be um, actively evangelizing in their schools. And I genuinely want Christ to be glorified at all times, right? But there are some times where, where I hope those things happen, but I hope that somebody also has their phone out and is able to take a picture of me discipling, you know? I, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that somebody is able to get a candid shot of me serving somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I'm hoping that, that I can go above and beyond to make a disciple of Jesus Christ, but, but that somebody recognizes me in a staff meeting and, and, and I get congratulated by everybody, right? So, so I think that we all have these ulterior motives when it comes to discipleship or spiritual things. And, and this is why Timothy was so successful and trusted by Paul in ministry is because he was able to put these things above himself and he had no ulterior motives for ministry. There's a story um, that I have in college. So, so in college, right, I felt a strong call to ministry. I desperately wanted to be a full-time pastor in ministry, and my wife and I, we were invited over to dinner um, by our youth pastor and our youth pastor's wife. And, and so uh, we, we had a great time together, and, uh, and we sat down at the table, and they served their meal to us, and, and uh, they, they said, Dawson, hey, how about you say the prayer? And so I'm thinking, oh man, I want to be in full-time ministry. If I say this prayer right, I'm going to get myself a J-O-B, right? <laughs> If, 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 if this prayer goes how, how I want it to go and I use all the right words and, and, I, and I show them how strong my faith is and, and all the things that I know, that, then I'm going to get a job and I'm going to be a pastor too. And, and, so, and so I let this prayer fly and I'm, I'm thinking about building my resume and what this is going to do for me. And, and, so, and so I think, and so I, I let this prayer go and I'm praying that, that uh, I'm grateful that we're justified by faith alone and not by works. And I'm praying uh, that I'm grateful that God is sanctifying us by his spirit through his word. Um, and, and I'm thanking God for all the work that he's doing in our students. And I'm naming them by name. And, and this, who knows how long this prayer went, right? 
uh, I, we actually just ended that prayer last week. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but, but this prayer went for way too long, and, and I say amen, and I look up, and my youth pastor and his wife are laughing at me. And, and, and they're making jokes that, that the food went cold, and I'm like, oh, man. And, and I looked so foolish and they were laughing at me and, and rightly so uh, because I made something that was about Jesus Christ. It was about the glory of Jesus, but I, but I had ulterior motives. I had the motives of, of getting a job and looking good to my youth pastor and, and it ended up making me look foolish. And, and I think that when we're making disciples, um, the, the point number one, if you're taking notes, point number one is going to be this. Discipleship is destroyed by ulterior motives. And the reason why discipleship can't be paired with ulterior motives, it's because when Jesus came down and he humbled himself and took on the form of man and emptied himself out for us, he had no ulterior motives. His one motive was to see the lost saved, to see people encounter the love of the Father in heaven, right? And so when we have these ulterior motives, we're, we're acting in contradiction to Jesus. We're acting completely different than Jesus would have. And, and so we can't build disciples when we're after our own glory, when we have secret motives that are hidden um, and, and we attempt to build disciples in that way. There's a verse that I love, and it's 3 John 1.4. And in this verse, John says this. He says, No greater joy do I have than seeing my brothers walk in the truth. And so I, I would hope that this would be our greatest joy, right? That, that our greatest joy would not be that we are incredible, you know, speakers and preachers or that we have all of these accolades or, or our greatest joy be that our self-image is awesome and we're able to exalt ourselves, but that our greatest joy be that when we put a deposit into the people around us, that they would genuinely be changed and have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ as a result of it. That it not be, that it not be about ourselves at all, but that it, that it be about somebody coming to an intimate personal faith with their creator in heaven. So, so I pray that we have no ulterior motives, but our motives be that and that alone. Uh, another thing that we see from Timothy is that we see that Timothy is able to be sent um, as a representative on Paul's behalf. So, so Paul had invested into Timothy. Uh, he had known Timothy personally. It was a father-son faith relationship. Um, and so Paul had full confidence sending Timothy to the church at Philippi, knowing that he would be able to do effective ministry there. And, and so Paul, right, in this moment, Paul so desperately wants to be with the church at Philippi, but he's in chains. Paul's in a Roman prison, um, and he can't go and do the ministry that he longs to do at the church in Philippi. But what he's able to do is he's able to send Timothy on his behalf because he made a deposit. He made a disciple who's able to reach people that he can't reach. So, so my wife and I, we really want to, to get into real estate as a side hustle, right? We, we uh, had the opportunity recently. We went and we bought a condo and, and we fixed it up and we were able to rent it out. It, but, but it required a deposit to, to purchase that condo and then it required a deposit of time and resources to, to be able to, to get it to the place that we wanted it to be able to rent it out. It, it required a lot of tough work. And when I say that it required a lot of tough work of us, I mean that it required most of the tough work from my wife. For, for some reason, she is, has an incredible gift of renovating homes. Um, so, so there was one day that I, I came home from work 
and my wife had built a fence in our backyard. And I was like, what, what is going on? This is, that fence wasn't there when I left, right? This is crazy. Um, so my wife has this incredible ability to renovate and to fix things up. Um, but, but all that to say, because of our initial deposit and investment into this property, we're able to generate a passive income as a result. We're able to, to have an income um, that, that exists even while we aren't present there working on that property. And this is the same way with this generational perspective of disciples. This is the same way when we do reach and equip, right, this is what it should look like. We should be able to make disciples without even being there. And I can testify that Pastor Noe, I'm, I'm one of Pastor Noe's disciples without ever having met him at the University of Arkansas because he implemented vision, he built culture, he equipped a team. I'm able to be a disciple of his and I didn't know him until I moved out to Phoenix. And so what happens is when, when we invest into the lives of others and we build disciples, they're able to go and reach people that we can't, like we can't physically be there, but we have a disciple that we can send and they can go. And this is why the early church was so successful is because they were serious about equipping uh, people and, and making disciples to do the work of ministry and then sending them out, right? So point number two is this. If you're taking notes, it said discipleship, requires a deposit, but it pays dividends. Discipleship requires a deposit, but it pays dividends. And we'll go ahead and get back into the text here. So verse 25, it says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have been filled with sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. So, so from this passage, what we know about Epaphroditus is that Epaphroditus, he was a member of this Philippian church. And, and the Philippians, they sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a gift. And we don't know what that gift is, but we know that when, when Epaphroditus was sent, he was also sent to be a, a servant of Paul's while he was in prison. And, and Epaphroditus had this call on his life from Jesus to go and serve Paul, and he was so serious about it that he served Paul almost to death. It says that he almost died for the work of Christ. So, so when we were talking about Christ's humility and, and Christ emptying himself, we see also that Epaphroditus is an example in that way because Epaphroditus was willing to, to put the service of Christ, to put the service of Paul above himself, emptying himself almost to the point of death. But, but ultimately, Epaphroditus, he, he recovered, and, and Paul found it best after Epaphroditus' recovery that he go back to the Philippian church. And, and what we know is that Epaphroditus was actually the messenger of this letter, um, Philippians. That, so so when, when Epaphroditus departed to go back to Philippi, he was able to bring this letter with him. Um, and, and what I think of when I, when I hear this message, I think I can't help but think of Epaphroditus 
acquainted with Paul so closely while Paul is in prison, right? And I just imagine that Epaphroditus would have heard Paul singing in prison, worshiping Christ. And I can imagine that, that Paul made an investment in, Paphro, in Epaphroditus as well. And Epaphroditus saw Paul in chains, but also understood Paul's conviction to still make disciples and to still reach the church at Philippi. And when Paul sent Epaphroditus back to the church at Philippi, he sent another equipped man ready to do the work of ministry, right? So, so Paul was able to send two men who were capable of building disciples in Philippi. And so that we, we see Paul doing this work of, of equipping and reaching Philippi while, while he's not even there as a result of the deposit that he's made in these two men. He's able to go and reach Philippi in a way that he physically couldn't at that time. And, and that's why this, this view of generational discipleship is so important. And, and I said earlier, I, I'm a disciple of Pastor Noe's because of the deposit that he placed at the University of Arkansas. It, but, but if you're here and you're like, man, making disciples, that sounds incredible. But I'm not the Apostle Paul who wrote a third of the New Testament and, and had this insane conversion where he encountered Jesus Christ. And I'm, and I'm also not Pastor Noe, who's this incredibly dynamic, gifted teacher of the Word of God who also has a doctorate in theology. So I, I don't know if I'm adequate. I don't know if I measure up against those people. I don't know if I can make disciples in the way that they do. And, and, and I definitely resonate with, with the feeling of the weight of inadequacy. And, and I was really encouraged by this story. And it was actually the story of Billy Graham's conversion. So if, if you don't know Billy Graham, Billy Graham was hands down the most effective evangelist who's ever been on earth, except Jesus. Except, except Jesus, Billy Graham was, was the most effective evangelist on earth. He, he ministered in over 185 different countries. He, he, he passed in 2018, and at the time that he passed, it was said that 2.2 billion people had heard the gospel through Billy Graham's mouth. 2.2 billion people were reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ as a result of Billy Graham's teaching. But, but Billy Graham, he, he had this story, it's this crazy series of events of how he came to be. Um, and, and Billy Graham, he was converted by a man named Wilbur Chapman. And, and Wilbur Chapman, he was, he was a, a pastor in New York City. Um, he was also an evangelist. He saw hundreds come to Christ through his ministry. And Wilbur Chapman was, was saved and, and uh, he, he was transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ through the preaching of D.L. Moody. And what we know about D.L. Moody is that D.L. Moody has a Bible institute named after him in Chicago that, that he had founded. It's Moody Bible Institute. And they're serious about equipping pastors and ministers to do the work of ministry. And he also founded Moody Publishing, and Moody Publishing has, has published and distributed more than 300 million Christian books. And, and D.L. Moody himself was an evangelist who, who went to several different continents and saw thousands and thousands of people come to faith through his ministry. But this is where the story gets interesting, is D.L. Moody was not saved by an evangelist. D.L. Moody uh, encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ through a man named Edward Kimball. And we don't know a whole lot about Edward Kimball. We, we know little to none. But what we do know about Edward Kimball is that he was a shoemaker in the heart of Boston, Massachusetts. He was a lower class, hardworking shoemaker. But, but he was also a Sunday school teacher at his local church. 
And, and Edward Kimball was serious about teaching people the importance of a personal relationship with Christ. Not just doctrine, not just the church curriculum, but, but a true, intimate walk with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there was one day that D.L. Moody was working in Edward Kimball's shop. Uh, just, they were just making shoes together. And, and DL, or, uh, Edward Kimball approached D.L. Moody and, and urged him to follow Christ and to know him personally. He, he taught him the gospel. And, and at that point, D.L. Moody accepted the gospel. And, and we can know that North American Christianity and Christianity in other parts of the world were changed as a result of the shoemaker's faithfulness in that moment. Because, because what would happen is D.L. Moody would be saved. He would save thousands and thousands of people by his teaching of the word. And, and then Wilbur Chapman would come to be, who'd be a faithful pastor in New York. And then ultimately the greatest evangelist of all time. And it all started with the faithfulness of a shoemaker saying that this gospel that Christ has given me is too good to be contained in and of myself. It's too good to stop here. I wasn't meant just to be reached and equipped and equipped and equipped and equipped forever. I was meant to, to it was meant to reach me and then to equip me and then I, now I'm meant to go and reach my community and my sphere of influence and it turned out that his sphere of influence would lead to one of the greatest evangelists that the world would ever know. And it all started with one action, one, one, one minute of faithfulness by the shoemaker in Boston, Massachusetts. There's this quote that, that I encountered that I love, and it's this. If your gospel isn't touching others, it hasn't touched you. If your gospel isn't touching others, it hasn't touched you. For, for me, I love coffee, right? And, and so when a new coffee um, shop opens up in Central Phoenix, I'm so excited to tell my friends. I want to tell them what craft latte offerings that they have and, and recommend what they should order. Or, or because, because it's our year, I have a zeal to tell people about the Dallas Cowboys, right? To convert them to fanhood of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm telling you, Super Bowl champs 2023. Um, so so I, I, have, I have a zeal, right, to tell people about things that, that are important to me. But when it comes to sharing the faith, when it comes to making disciples, sometimes I can't help but shrink back and think that this is too great a task. Or, or maybe I think that, that in the moment that this is just going to be weird and, and I've been learning a lot at church, but, but maybe they don't want it. I, I don't know. But, but what I can tell you is that the shoemaker, when, when he received the gospel of Jesus Christ, he knew that, that it wasn't meant to stop with him. Whether he looked weird, whether he was scared, it didn't matter. The shoemaker was going to go forth and preach the gospel because that's what he was entrusted with. And, and this quote, what it tells us, it says, if your gospel isn't touching others, it isn't touching you. What it tells us, if, if we aren't reaching other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it's actually not doing in us what it was meant to do. The gospel was never meant to be contained. It was meant to, to live in us and then create disciples through us. And this is why I love, I love youth ministry so much because I have this incredible group of volunteer leaders who have encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ and they've said, man, this gospel truth is too good. It, it can't stop with me. I, I can't just continue to be equipped. I have to go and teach the youth, the, the sixth through 12th graders in Central Phoenix. I have to tell them about how good this gospel is. 
And so I get, to, I get to equip them and train them and give them a lane to teach the Bible, to teach the gospel to 6th to 12th graders. And, and when I think of, of this legacy that the shoemaker left, of this legacy that Timothy left, like we, Timothy was in the Bible, but we still don't know a huge amount about Timothy. But we, what we do know is that he was faithful to make disciples. And what we know about the shoemaker is that he was faithful to make disciples disciples. And so when you're thinking through what, what does your legacy look like? What will come of you? I pray that your legacy be one that, that we spoke about with John, that, that your greatest joy be seeing your brothers and sisters come to an intimate relationship with Christ, right? The, the shoemaker surely never knew what would come of his faithfulness. He never knew that Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist of all time, would be the result. He was just faithful in preaching the gospel because he knew that it couldn't stop with him. He knew this truth was too good to not be shared. There's another quote that, that I love. Uh, sorry, I'm hitting you guys with quotes. It turns out that I'm a quote guy. Um, but but this, this is a quote that I've heard in seminary, and, and I think that this quote is an accurate representation of why some people call seminary, cemetery, right? Because, because it, it's, it's a hard hitter. And so it says this, live, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Right? I mean, it sounds depressing, but, but on, at second glance, right, this should be a, of great comfort to us. We, we hate the idea of passing and being forgotten and never remembered, but, but I guarantee you that shoemaker had on his mind, I'm going to leave a legacy, whether I'm remembered or whether I'm not, I'm going to leave a legacy of faithful disciples. And here's the deal is that life is but a vapor, right? It, it, it comes and it goes, but while you're on earth, you are given this responsibility to minister to your sphere of influences, to create disciples who can then create disciples of Jesus Christ. So will you be faithful to do that? Will you be faithful to leave a legacy of faithful disciples? I have, I have three questions as we close. And these three questions, I think, are measurables of your personal ministry. And, and we know that we're all given the responsibility of doing ministry, right? We're, we're believers, but we weren't, the gospel wasn't meant to be contained just in us. It was meant to go out. And we're called a royal priesthood, and we were given this great responsibility to go and make disciples. So I'm going to leave you with these three questions to, to write down, to take with you, to examine your souls with. And question number one is this. Are you yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? Question number two, are you able to create disciples of Jesus Christ, and are you doing it? And then number three, can the disciples that you create make other disciples of Jesus Christ?